Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. You see me here, so the next 30 minutes, I don't know how it's going to go, but we're going to find out. Matt's gone, and he made the horrible mistake of asking me to teach, and I have neither Matt nor April to give me dirty looks to shut up, Um, so if I do say something that I shouldn't, you take that place for me, okay? Can we make that agreement? All right, so just give, just give me a look. Um, but anyway, also, he made the unfortunate mistake of deciding to start a new series the week that he was out on vacation. So I get the opportunity to introduce the series to you. And the series is going to be called Escape Plan, Surviving Temptation. And we're going to go through this through the next three weeks. And the big thing is going through temptation. Um, the main premise that we're going to drive home tonight by looking here at Scripture, um, so I'm not giving any opinions we're just going to look at God's Word tonight and let it speak for itself. Um, I believe that that's more powerful than anything else, so that's what we're going to do. But the first thing, the big point we're going to drive home is that everybody needs an escape plan. Everybody needs a plan. The scripture that we're going to look at, I'm going to read that first, and then we're going to talk about it. Um, but before we do, I want to pray. Um, everybody bow their head and pray with us real quick. God, I just want to thank you for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to come and open your Word. I pray for everyone here that knows you, God, that tonight will be a night that helps them to draw closer to you. And I pray, God, if there's anyone in here who does not know you, that you'll already go ahead and begin a work in their heart and their soul and just stir them and their affections for you and draw them to yourself and that they might come to know you tonight and put their faith in you. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we're going to go ahead and dive in. If you have your Bible or your phone, which I know all of you have a phone, I'm sure, you can go on the Bible app and look this up, or you can just look here on the board. I made it easy for you. So we got no excuse. Everybody's going to have some sort of scripture tonight. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So if you have your Bible or your phone and you want to go ahead and get there, now's the time. Or you can just look up here on the board behind me. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to go ahead and read this. It's going to be a bit lengthy. We're reading 14 verses. If you can bear with me for 14 verses, I promise the rest is going to be cake. Um, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. And this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, I don't want you to, he says, "I I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us. If you highlight your Bible, highlight that. It was as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual morality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Now here's where we're going to get into this. Everyone needs a plan. Look at verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. That's the Bible's way of saying if, your poop, if you think your poop don't stink, it does. If you think that you can't fall, you can, right? We're going to go in there, verse 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I want you all to be honest. Those first 
11 verses that I read about people walking through clouds and all this stuff and drinking from rocks. Did that confuse anybody? A little bit? Just a little bit? Because I know whenever I was young, I would hear people get and teach and I'm hearing about drinking from rocks and clouds in the sky and all this stuff. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And then you get to something that sounds like somewhat applicable to my life that we just read from 12 to 14. If we look at verses 12 to 14, those are pretty simple, straightforward, right? But one through 11 is kind of like a question mark. We're not gonna spend a whole lot of time diving in that, but I do wanna clarify the the difference between one through 11 and 12 through 14. Um, Paul's writing to give an example to the church in Corinth. Um, So he's saying, hey guys, 12 through 14 is an encouragement not to fall into temptation. One through 11 is looking back. Is anybody familiar with the book of Exodus? In the book of Exodus, what happened? The Israelites, God's people, were enslaved in Egypt, right? And God led them out of Egypt through Moses. They crossed the sea, right? We see the sea up here. God was present in the cloud. They ran into some rocks. Who do we find out the rock was? God. So all this is an allusion back to Exodus of the exile of the Israelites from Egypt. Does that make a little more sense now? That's all that is. And all that we're talking about is the temptations, the struggles, the grumbles, the quarrels that they faced from Egypt outward, right? So now he's talking to us today. Don't do what they did. And here's the thing. We have to know that temptation affects everyone. That goes back on the main premise of our lesson that we're gonna get into tonight, that everyone needs a plan. So a couple examples of, you know, how temptation affects everyone. Where's Luke? Is he in here? Luke. All right. Luke, he goes to a Christian school, right? What school do you go to? Covenant. So I'm just going to imagine Luke saying, ah, I'm Lucas Schaefer. I go to Covenant Christian School and I don't struggle with temptation, right? I'm awesome. My grandpa is the pastor of the church and my dad is the pastor too. We don't struggle. But those public school guys, those are the heathens, the ones that go to homecoming and they play rap music at their dances and they're grinding on each other. It's terrible. What is going on? They're the only ones that struggle. Is that right? No, he's wrong. But then the same other attitude that I know that I would have had when I was in, I was a public school guy, I admit. So I was one of the healings that we're talking about Luke thinks, right? In public school and just being a kid growing up, you come to church, you hear about, you know, struggling with temptation, X, Y, and Z, and you think, oh, that's only for the adults. That's only for the worst humans of society, you know, the drug dealers, the drug users, the murderers the thieves, the worst of the worst. Because what do we do when it comes to temptation? Let's just be honest, we play the comparison game. That sometimes, you know, if we grew up in a Christian school, it's easy to say, okay, at least I'm not those public school guys. And then if I do grow up in the public school and I struggle with ABC, whatever I struggle with, at least I'm not like that prostitute on the corner in Huntington. At least I'm not that drug dealer down there. At least I'm not the guy that I saw on the news who just got arrested, right? At least I'm not him. And let's be honest, we all play the game. At least I'm not blank. And we try to make ourselves feel better. It's what we do. I'm prone to it. We all are. But that comes, and that's just gonna be the message that we drive home tonight, that everyone needs a plan. And what I'm gonna do is simple. If you you take notes or whatever, I like to break my stuff down. I'm a very, very simple person. You know what's easy? Writing an essay. Writing an essay, we got an introduction, right? 
We got three body points and a conclusion. Everybody know that? It's a five paragraph, right? I'm not extremely intelligent, but I can do five points. So that's what we're going to do. So we just covered the intro, right? So my brain works. Now we're going to move into point one. And each of the three points are going to be questions. So if you want, write these questions down and we're going to answer each of them. The first and most important question I think we need to answer is what is temptation? What is it? Because if, if I sit down and tell you, hey, we need to have an escape plan. What's going on right now in the Middle East in Afghanistan, right? We had an escape plan. We're not going to get into the politics of it, but it didn't go too well. It just didn't. But it's because we weren't as familiar as we should have been of what exactly was going on. There wasn't enough study to go into what was going on there to have a safe extraction or escape plan, correct? So then we look at this. How can we escape temptation or how can we escape anything if we don't know what it is? We have to study it. Any sports team, what do they do? You know, if you play football, they sit down and they study the plays that the opponent does, right? If you're a military person, if you're in war, you study the moves and the techniques of the enemy because that helps you to strike better, right? The same thing is true with this. If we're going to have an escape plan from temptation, we need to know very good and well what temptation is. And I think that this passage here in 1 Corinthians answers that. Um, so to answer it, I'm going to give you one word of how we can answer this. And the answer is parismos. Anybody know what that means? Parismos. It's a Greek word. Again, I had to look up the translation because, again, I'm not very smart, but I can look things up on Google, right? I can look up things on the, the Bible.com. And parismos is the word that Paul uses for temptation. So let's look back here into the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Paul says, no temptation, there's one time it's used, has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted. There's Parismos. Beyond your ability, but with the temptation, Parismos, he will also provide the way of escape. But what I want you to do now is let's go back a couple verses and look at verse nine. It says, we must not put Christ to the what? To the test. Guess what word that is? Parismos. And if you look throughout the New Testament, which we're not going to take the time, this is not a seminary class, Paul uses those words interchangeably. Test, trial, and temptation. It's all the same word, parismos. Uh, our English scholars have decided to translate however they want that they think it fits the best context. I agree these are good translations, but it's important to know that the New Testament was not written in English. The New Testament was written in Greek. So to get the best Understanding what's going on here, we got to look back at that a little bit. But that gives us a good idea here of what temptation really is. When we think of temptation, I think most of us think solely of moral temptation, right? Think, okay, uh, let's don't don't cuss, don't listen to music with bad stuff in it, don't watch shows with nudity, check, don't do drugs, X, Y, Z. It's all moral type temptation. But I want to argue, we're gonna we're gonna look at the scripture and, and continue that temptation is beyond that. The temptation is not just moral temptation, but temptation is also trials and tribulations that comes our way and tests, as we see that Paul used that word test as he did for temptation. Does that make sense? Am I losing anybody? We still good? All right. So in this passage, I think that we see that there are three different types of temptation. And if we can hone down what those three types of temptation are, we're going to be set. So let's again look back. Let's look at verse eight. What does Paul say? We must not indulge in sexual immorality, right? Drew, you could put that slide up there for this if you want, man. We must not indulge in sexual immorality. So that's one of many things that we shouldn't do, right? 
but that appeals to morals. So there's our moral temptation. Does everybody understand what that means, moral temptation? It's, it's a list of do's and don'ts. So, okay, don't, have, don't do sexual morality. Don't do drugs, etc. All these are moral type temptations. So that's what we see in verse eight. The temptation can be a moral thing, right? And then let's look in verse nine. It says, we must not put Christ to the test. Here's putting Christ to the test. That's a doubt of faith. So at first we have temptation of the morals. This one, we see that the Israelites were prone to put Christ to the test. That's temptation of the faith. Then next we look at verse 10 and it says, nor grumble. So we know the Israelites, if you know anything about the book of Exodus, the Israelites were a bunch of complaining babies. But it also reminds me of the church in America now. Let's just go to Facebook. Everybody at church is arguing with each other. Everybody hates each other. They can't get along. We grumble about stupid stuff. Oh, do you have the vaccine? Oh, what do you think about uh, this type of preaching or this type of music and blah, 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 blah. And what is that? It's grumbling. It's discontentedness. We can grumble. And what, what did Jesus do before he ascended? Jesus gave us one command. One. Go make disciples of all nations. Right? So that could be going across the street to your neighbor. That could be going across the ocean to the Dominican Republic, which you all could do this summer on a mission trip. That could be surrendering your life to missions and going to Asia or the Middle East where things are difficult. But whenever we're prone and God is pushing us to do something, our natural gut response is to do what the Israelites did and grumble. Ugh. But God, what if, what if my neighbor flips me off and pushes me out the door when I try to talk to him, right? There's a grumble. Oh, but God, what if I go to the Dominican Republic and it's hot, it's humid, ugh. God, what if I go to Asia and become a missionary and I have to live like a monk in the mountains? Or what if you call me to the minute? What if, what if, what if is the game that we play and that's grumbling. So that right there is the temptation of discontentedness or the temptation of greed. We want more. We think that God, does, that we deserve things from God, that God needs to put things on our standards, right? So there's three ways that I want to look at temptation. And if we can know that Satan works in temptation in these ways, the temptation of morals, the temptations of faith to question God, and the temptations of greed or discontentedness to not be content with what God is giving us and not to trust him. If we can hone these down and know these are the three ways Satan works, we can escape temptation and have that escape plan. So that's the first question. What is temptation? I hope I answered that effectively. I know we're a little discombobulated. We're kind of all over the place. If you want to look, my notes that I have will be put on the refuel app. I think uh, Jordan will be putting those on there. Are they already up there? Perfect. So they're already up there. You can download the Refuel app, download the notes, and it'll go along with exactly what I'm saying. So the next question that we're going to ask is, what do I do when I'm tempted? And the first thing I'm going to say, I think is going to be backwards to some of your thinking. Because when you're tempted, and again, we're going to go through that definition of what temptation is. Temptation is a temptation or a trial or a test. So it could be a moral type temptation. Sometimes we see tests, right? That you know, one of our family members is sick. That's hard. That's a trial, right? But all of these things put together, whenever they happen to us, do we want to rejoice in Christ or do we want to grumble? Let's be honest. We want to grumble. I want to grumble. I'm the biggest baby in here probably. I whine, I moan, I groan. Ask anybody in the room that knows me. I complain a lot. So I'm not preaching to you. We're, we're just looking at it and seeing what we need to do. We're talking about ourselves too. I'm a big complainer. But the answer of the first thing that we need to do when we're tempted is to rejoice. 
So don't lose me when I say we need to rejoice. They're tempted. Oh, yes, praise the Lord, I was tempted today. Oh, praise the Lord, my mom's in the hospital today. Oh, praise the Lord, my parents are getting divorced. No, that sounds so backwards, right? But what I want you to do, if you have your Bible, you can turn with me real quick. You can turn on your phone or you can just listen because I'm going to read two verses. We go to the book of James, chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. James writes and he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. See that word for trials? What's that word? Anybody want to guess? Parismas, the same word that Paul used for temptation and for test. So trial, the same thing. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith, there's again, test, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we look at that. Is that, is that common? Do you think that we see that a lot? Do you see many people saying, oh, praise the Lord for my temptations and trials? No, it's a lot of grumbling. But James didn't just say, he didn't leave a blank statement. Hey guys, you need to rejoice. When you struggle, you better be rejoicing. He gave him a follow-up and he said, you need to rejoice and here is why. And the why was that it's gonna make you steadfast or it's gonna produce endurance. Anybody know anything about endurance? How do you build endurance? Just do it, right? Nike, just do it. So I'll tell you a little story real quick. Um, I'm a very skinny guy, always have been, always will be. I'm a skinny white dude through and through. It's in my genes. Um, but I'd like to be big, I'll admit it. I, I wish I could be like, you know, the rock or whatever. I, I got the height, but I don't have the body. You know, I look at him and I like to think I'm like him and then I look in the mirror and I'm like, no, nah, I'm not. So I, I started working out a lot. I was eating protein like it was candy. I was like snorting creatine every day, going to the gym, working out like crazy. And I thought I was awesome because I gained like 15 pounds. But 15 pounds for this gangly guy is a lot. So one day I was at the gym with Jordan and Emily and we decided, we got the bright idea. So also I had to say, I wasn't doing cardio. I wasn't running because I wanted to gain weight. We got the bright idea. I'm going to run today. We're going to go to the Barbersville Park and we'll run a mile and a half. Ran a mile and a half. I got about 0.2 miles in. I was like, oh, oh gosh. Couldn't do it. Mile and a half used to be like my warm-up. I used to run all the time. Go figure. Look at me. But I couldn't do it anymore. My endurance was gone. So at that moment, I said, this sucks, but I'm going to keep doing it every single day. So since then, I've been running. I ain't gaining any more weight. This ain't going to happen. I've just got to be content with what, the way God's made me. I run. So I start running every day, and now my endurance is finally back. But you know how long that took? Like six months. And it sucks still. It's still better than it was. My mile and a half is way better than it was then. That's what this endurance is that Paul is talking about. We have to push through the suck. When I was in the police academy, it was the worst 16 weeks of my life. Absolutely terrible. And you know what the instructor said to get us through? Embrace the suck. That's real motivating, man. It's real motivating. But that's what we have to do here. But there is a purpose. There's a light at the tunnel, at the end of the tunnel, and there is a reason. So we have to have that reason. And if we don't have that light at the end of the tunnel, we're not going to have any motivation to push through. And that motivation is that, like James said, the testing of your faith produces endurance. Just as the testing of your legs and your lungs produces physical endurance, the testing of your faith through temptation, trial, test produces endurance. Just don't give up. Keep going. Why? Because then he says that that endurance makes you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
drawing you ever closer to the Lord than you ever could have imagined before. So when we see temptation, see trials come our way, hardship, difficulty, we should rejoice. Why? Because we know that the outcome is going to be one of two things. There's never a middle ground. This is going to be one of two things. A, this thing is going to draw me closer to Christ, and I'm going to be way better off if I just grind this out. Or B, it's going to suck just as bad as it would if I was pushing through, but actually worse because I'm not going to have God pushing me through, and now I'm even further from God than I was before. So what route are we going to pick? Probably the one where we trust in the Lord and draw closer to him. But that's easier said than done, right? Whenever we're in church and I'm teaching and we're looking at the word, it's so easy. When I was talking to Emily about this lesson in Jordan, I said, you know, the thing is, I have never sat down and prayed, never been in church, said none of the teaching of the word of God, never been reading the word, never doing any of these things that build us up, never listening to Christian music. And after I take the headphones out or after I say amen from my prayer, after I leave out the door from church, I'm like, all right, time to go get drunk. All right, time to go snort some crack. Doesn't happen, why? It's common sense. Because we are doing exactly what we're supposed to do to combat temptation. Every time that I've ever felt the most tempted and the, the weakest in my life is when I was the most distracted. So the answers are simple, and I feel like we overcomplicate them. We want some, some quick answer. What do I need to do? Ah, I'm struggling. What do I need to do? It's, it's clear. Spend time in the Word. Push through. Pray. Get you friends that are going to help draw you closer to God, and just, just push through. Am I right? We look at it, like I said, I, I, I would beg to say any of you all who are actually serious about being here tonight, the first thing you do when you want to go home is cuss out your parents. I just don't see that. Because we're here, we're sitting under the teaching of the Word of God and we're the most fulfilled. But you wait till the end of the week or whatever, you've been through a few crappy days at school, you haven't been praying, you're more likely to mess up then, right? We have to constantly be engaged in these things if we want to overcome temptation. So again, what do I do when I fall into temptation? Rejoice and know that this is an opportunity to draw closer to God. And the second thing, I've got to check on time. Okay, we're good. Second thing, know that God is faithful. We're back to 1 Corinthians 10, our original passage. Look at verse 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may, that you may be able to endure it. By show of hands, who, who's heard this verse before that I just read? Who's heard this? Several. You know the way that I always heard this verse growing up was that people say, God will never put you through more than you can handle. Have you ever heard that phrase? Do you think that's true, false? Uh, I'll just go and answer. It's false. God will very much put you through more temptation, trials, and tests than you can handle. But it doesn't end there because what did verse 13 say? That God is faithful. It's more than you can handle alone. But it's not more than you can handle with God. It's God plus you equals a successful escape route. Me alone? It's like walking out of a burning building with a blindfold on. I'm gonna die. You take it off and you have someone that's guiding you out, you're gonna make it. And that's God. It's you plus God equals successful escape route. And that's what we see. God is faithful. In this tension between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, working together. It's all over the Bible. Look at Philippians 4.13. We've got a friend. Some of us know him. He's got a tattooed on his wrist. Philippians 4.13. I can do, I can do all things, right? It's about me. I can do all things through Christ. 
But you see how those two go together? I can do all things, not on your own, brother, but with Christ, you can. It's you plus Christ equals successful escape plan. We still tracking, we still good? Everybody's following? All right, I know I'm a confused mess, but I hope you're following. We're gonna get to the last question that we're gonna answer now. And that question is how? So we answered the what twice. We answered what is temptation and what do I do when I'm tempted? This one is how. How do I escape temptation? The answer is simple and it's always gonna be simple, but it's extremely gut-wrenching at times and it's extremely difficult. So whenever you hear me say, oh, this is simple, know that it's not. It's simple in theory, but not in practice. Does that make sense? In the answer of how we escape temptation, look at verse 14. What's it say? Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee. So whenever I think of the word flee, I automatically and intrinsically think of someone running, right? In my occupation as a police officer, if I think of someone fleeing, I think of someone running from me and I'm gonna track him down and I'm gonna get him and he's gonna get it, right? Or it's a car running from me and I'm gonna chase that sucker down and we're gonna have fun when I do, right? We're chasing him, he's running. So when we think of flee, I immediately think of running. It's turning from something and going the total opposite direction, right? So we have to do that. We have to flee. And there's a lot of ways that we can flee. And again, talking about the lesson with Jordan, I kind of made a joke earlier. It's like, all right, you all are at some party or something like that. And somebody starts to do stuff that's not Christian. Are we literally going to get up and sprint out of there? Ah, uh, sure. I mean, if that's what you're led to do. But I think that it's more so the daily fleeing turning your situations. And the one thing that I want to focus on is, well, actually two things here, are your friends and your phone. Do we all have friends in here of some sort? Everyone does except my brother, Kurt. He does not. Um, everybody have a phone in here? I think everyone has a phone in here. Who would say that our friends and our phones are two of the biggest things that influence us? Agree with that? So first we'll talk about friends for a minute. You are your friends. You just are. Nah, you probably don't either. You are your friends. It's that simple. So we're looking at fleeing. So we're thinking about running. Again, surprise to you all in my gangly body, I was a cross-country runner in high school, okay? So we want to talk about that for a minute. We would have practice, and practice sucked. There'd be times that we would have to go run seven-mile runs, and me and my friends, you know what we would do? We kind of, instead of, oh, we got to push on, we'd go hide in the weeds through the seven-mile run, wait our time out, and then... Make sure we ran across the line, like, whoo, that's a good one, coach. Acting all exasperated and all this stuff, right? Felt good at the time. It felt real good at the time because I wasn't out there through the gut wrench in seven miles. But when Saturday came and I was running my 5K, I wish I'd sat out that seven mile run, right? You wish you had done it because I'm dying. I'm puking off the sideline all over the place because I didn't push through the muck. And that's what we need to do. But like I said, you are your friends. Let's fast forward to now. One of my neighbors, and he lives, he goes to the church here. His name's Andrew Steele, if you all know him. That guy can run way better than me. I can run a long time, but I can't run fast. Andrew can run for a long time, and he can run fast. So I run with him. Why? You got to do stuff with people who are better than you. I know I suck. So the whole time we're running, he's in front of me. He's laughing, and I'm sprinting behind him. Andrew, are we done yet? I'm puking. Again, I, I puke when I run. I do sometimes. But I run with him and I've gotten 10 times better because I had that friend that was better than me pushing me along the whole time to keep going, right? 
So now whenever I run races, I'm 10 times faster than I was then because I actually got somebody that's gonna push me. I don't have friends that are wanting to pull me into the weeds so then I'm doing terrible in my race, right? You wanna have friends that are gonna be the ones with you, in front of you, pulling you along the way. You are your friends. The next thing is the phone. We have to take preventative measures um, when it comes to temptation. Real practical element, preventative measures. A lot of us think that we are consuming content, right? When you're on your phone, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, we think we are consuming content. But the truth is, the content is consuming you. Y'all ever heard of an algorithm? An algorithm is just a mathematical formula, okay? And an algorithm is designed to put content on your phone that it thinks you will like. You know what your phone knows about you already without you even knowing it? It knows where you live, knows how old you are, it knows your gender, right? And with that, we can do a lot. So I'm gonna talk to the guys, because I am a guy. Your phone already knows that you are a teenage male, right? What's that say? Let's flush his phone full of sexual content about women, right? What you do, you go on TikTok, you're scrolling. That's all that's on there anymore half the time, right? Let's just be real. That's what's there. Girls, I know the same thing, vice versa, with men. It's just polluted. So I'm not saying to immediately go delete your TikTok app. I'm saying maybe let's be careful about the amount of time that we consume on it because you are what you consume. Whenever we're consuming all of this type of content that's just raunchy day in and day out, we're gonna become that. You, you're gonna end up... Like the, Jesus says, he says that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. When you pump your heart full of crap, you're gonna speak a bunch of crap. You're gonna act terrible, right? So you are what you consume and you are your friends. So the two things that I think immediately we can watch are our friends and our phone. So be careful with that. The next thing that we're gonna get into here is keep your eyes on the prize. Good runners, is anybody in here runners at all? Anybody ever in track or cross country? Okay, so good runners, when we're running track, we condition ourselves to do what? Zone everything out from here and look straight ahead, right? Why? Because if, if I'm running a track race, I have to stay in my lane. If I step outside of that lane, what happens? Disqualified, right? So we have to stay in that lane. If I'm running, I'm looking in the stands, go veer off. I'm gonna get out of that lane, I'm gonna get disqualified. And it's also gonna slow you down. I ran, I ran a race a while back on a track, and when I finished it, you know, I felt pretty good about it, but whenever I finished it, one of the guys said to me, he said, you know what you could do to help your time? Stop looking around so much. I'm a curious person, very curious person. So I'm running around that track, like, oh, fly, oh, there's a dog. I'm running all over the place. If I would just zone ahead and go forward, I'd be much faster, right? And the same thing is true in our Christian life. We can't look around so much. We can't be so distracted. Our end goal is Jesus. At the end is glory. At the end is Jesus. If we finish this life with nothing but have Christ, we have everything. What we have doesn't matter. Again, I know I'm feeling this full of allusions to running, but Paul did the same thing, and that's what I like. Paul always says, I press forward to what's ahead of me. I continue to run this race. The Christian life is a race. The Christian life is not a sprint. The Christian life is a distance run. And if we know anything about distance running, it's about pacing ourselves, and it's about looking forward to the end. If we don't look forward to that end and have it in mind, we're gonna die. Again, another story from Shrek. When I was in high school, I broke my hip. Um, I don't know if anyone in here remembers that, but I was running a 400 meter race. 
I was at meter 302, probably. I was in first place, right? I was really excited. Then I heard a click in my hip, and I was like, that ain't good. Kept running. It was clicking every step. It was the worst pain of my life. But at that point, I was on the straight stretch, the home stretch. So let's say the wall back here is the end. I had it in sight, right? So I was able to finish. And I'd like to be able to give you that victory story that I still finish in first place with a broken hip. I lost. I lost the race. But at least I finished, right? Again, it's that distance run and having the end and goal to get you to completion. I did get second place. I wish I could say I got first place, but I didn't. And then I started crying when I crossed the finish line. But guess what? I, I still finished. And I feel like for a lot of us, that's gonna be us. We like to say that the Christian life is hunky-dory, that we're gonna come out clean. If you are a Christian and come out unscathed at the end, you're doing something wrong. Because the thing is, life is dirty. Life is mucky. If you have been sheltered your life to think that everything out here is sunshine and roses, I'm not trying to put a damper on everything because I promise it's gonna get a little bit more bright in a couple minutes. It's not. Life is sad. Life is depressing. Life is filled with all kinds of terrible things. But guess what? That is the point. Why would we need Christ if life was perfect? It's not. That's why we need him. We live in a broken, sin-filled, sin-cursed world, and that is why we need a Savior. So when you fall into temptation and when you mess up, don't be wallowing in your guilt about it. Get up. Pray to Jesus and say, this is exactly why I need you. If you fall into temptation and you feel so much guilt about it that you lay down and never get back up and bounce back from it, Satan has completed his mission because a useless Christian is extremely advantageous to Satan because why? You have no motivation. You're not sharing the gospel with your friends whenever you're wallowing in your guilt, right? I think the number one thing that Satan uses is guilt to say, hey, Ethan, I know what you did last summer. You feel called to go on that mission trip next summer? Well, I know what you did last summer. You're useless. You're not a true Christian. I know you messed up. I look over here, Logan, oh, I know what you did. You're trying to talk to your classmate about Jesus? Well, you screwed up royally last week. I could talk to your sister, your mom, and they would say he is everything but someone who would be telling someone about Christ. Does Satan do that to us? Whenever we feel called to do something that he reminds us of our past. And when we let him do that, he wins. Get up, bounce back. The fact, that we, the fact that we are tempted, the fact that we even fall into temptation is proof that the gospel is true and that we need a savior. If we could do it alone, all of that would have been pointless. Jesus would have never had to come if we could do it alone. That's the whole point. So remember that and pound that into your heads. That is the point. We need our savior. He is our escape plan. Our escape plan will never be found in our own motive or our own free will. It will only and always be found in Christ. I have a friend that recently got saved that I work with. And he's a big, tough guy, strong dude. Like, I wish I had the physique that he did um, kind of guy. So he's naturally a big, burly dude, physically and mentally. So he gets saved. And he's talking to me about his struggles. He's like, well, I got saved and I thought that would fix everything. I thought that I still wouldn't struggle with X, Y, and Z. And he has a mouth of a sailor. Actually, he makes a sailor sound like Pastor Lemming. That dude, every other word out of his mouth is the F word. And he thought that as soon as he got saved, that that would cure his vocabulary. And it did not. He's still working through it. And guess what? 
He, he felt defeated. He's trying by his own bootstraps because he's been trained and conditioned that you work hard, you do what you can, and you follow through on everything. It's all about you. And he has to get that deconstructed. And I've been trying to help him deconstruct that and go, you are weak. And I'm saying that to the six foot four, 250 pound burly dude. You're weak. We're spiritually weak. We all are. That is the point, my friend. The fact that you get saved and that you still mess up means that you... God is continuing this work in you. Don't let it defeat you. Because if you get saved, Satan's already pretty ticked off about that, right? So what Satan wants to do after you get saved is to make you feel useless. Because then if he makes you feel useless, you're not sharing the gospel and that means other people aren't hearing. See what I'm saying? When you mess up, it's not the end of the road. Bounce up and know that God still has a plan for you. So there's the happy part that I'm getting around to. I'm gonna close and what I'm going to close with is going to make Matt smile if he's listening to the lesson now or later. We always like to alliterate our words and use the same letters. So tonight we have three F words, three applicational F words. If you again, write these down, write them, do what you need to do with them, pound these into your head. The first thing that we need to do in our escape plan against temptation is we need to flee, flee temptation. Don't put yourself into surroundings where you know that you're going to be susceptible to fall. Maybe change what, what kind of content we're consuming. Maybe change who we're hanging out with. And I'm not saying to alienate your non-Christian friends because we need to hang out with non-Christian people so that we can push them to Christ. But if those are the only people that you're hanging out with, you become your friends. You need to have that balance, okay? The next thing we need to do is to focus. So the first thing you do is flee temptation. And then the next thing, okay, we can regroup. We can focus, right? So you're running all over the place, getting off course. Sit down, take a breath, focus. Spend some time in this, in the Word. Spend some time in prayer. Spend some time with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Refocus. Get your eyes on the goal. Get up and keep going. Jordan back here with his messed up knee. What's he going to do? He's going to recover. Maybe not as soon as he wants it to, but it's going to recover, right? So just if he, since he's broken his knee, or I don't even know what he's done to this thing, um, jujitsu injury back here, just because he's hurt doesn't mean he's never going to get back up. It means he's going to recover. But he's walking around with his brace on. And if we're being honest, there's a lot of Christians out here walking around with spiritual braces on. Sit down, focus, do what you need to do to recover and get that brace off and run free. The last thing, find Find others to confide in. The Christian life is not meant to be done alone. If you try to do this thing alone, you're gonna bust your face over and over and over again. If, and the Christian life is, is gut-wrenching. If you have friends going along with you, you're still gonna bust your face, but at least you have someone to help pick you right back up. So make sure that we have friends that we can confide in, that we can share our struggles in and it can help us get back up when we bust our face. Um, that's all I've got for tonight. I hope that that made sense. Like I said, you can go back and listen to the lesson online if you want. It's gonna be on there. These notes that I followed um, are gonna be on the Refuel app if you wanna go back and study that a little bit more and take some more in. The next two weeks are gonna be done by Matt. Uh, he'll be back, so I know you'll be happy to have him, be, uh, have him back. I will be as well. But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray for us. I'm only one minute over. I know I love to talk. I have 
that's my biggest flaw in life. I can't shut up. But I'm one minute over, so I'd say we're a-okay. Instead of pulling someone to the middle, just since we're already over, I'm just gonna pray and dismiss you. You can go ahead and get out of here. If you wanna sign up for that hike, by the way, go see Jordan, and he can get you signed up uh, with the hike. He's the guy in the gray, uh, I mean green, I'm colorblind, I'm sorry, green sweatshirt. Let's just say he's the crippled guy. You can find him. But I'm gonna pray, and we're gonna get out of here, guys. Father, I just want to thank you for tonight. I thank you for the opportunity to have come and talked about your word. Um, God, it's incriminating to all of us. We're all victims of temptation. We all fall into temptation. But God, I pray that you will give us the confidence that you will drag us out and help us in this escape plan from temptation, that you will heal any kind of wounds that we have, that you'll help us to push through the trials and the temptations and do so in a rejoicing manner, God, knowing that you point us through is gonna be what helps us to draw closer to you in the end. That God, this life is not easy. Following you is not easy. But if we have you, we have everything we need and it's so worth it. I pray that you will give us all the confidence and the motivation by your Holy Spirit's work in us to do that. And if anybody here, like I prayed earlier, doesn't know you tonight, God, I pray that you'll just open their hearts to the truth of the gospel, draw them to yourself and help them to come to know you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.